Hi listeners, welcome to episode 6 of the Rugby Coffee Podcast. Uh, I am Cornet Durant and I am your host. We've been very blessed with the response to our podcast so far. And thanks to everyone who's been listening and uh, getting behind what we're trying to do. Um, the good that coffee and rugby can do through their communities um, to make a difference in kids' lives. But we're also blessed with the amazing people that we've we got involved so far in Rugby Coffee and our brand. And today we have no other than DTH Van Amerwe, international rugby player, represented Canada in four Rugby World Cups. Um, and he's joining us today. Welcome, DTH. How are you? Yeah, thank you, Cornet. I'm doing great. Um, currently, I'm just in Canada, enjoying a bit of time off uh, during these strange times. But um, you know, very happy to be on board with uh, Rugby Coffee, and I look uh, forward to seeing what we can do in the future. Yeah, fantastic. We we we've had a couple of chats chats already about um, coffee machines, etc. So. Um, how passionate are you about coffee? Uh, you know what? I, uh, it's the first thing I think about every morning when I wake up. Um, other than opening my eyes, I think uh, as soon as I, you know, you start coming out of that deep sleep, you just think about a coffee. And I, I yeah, I enjoy the taste. Um, obviously, being a rugby player, it's, it's something that kind of goes hand in hand with with players. As um, when we go away on away trips, we always seek out some of the good coffee shops around the towns we're in or the hotels we're in um and you know especially game days when it's all dragged out that's kind of probably where my coffee love started is you um you know go on these away trips and your game doesn't kick off till seven o'clock at night so there's a lot of time to kill and find a coffee shop and you take your deck of cards and go play a few cards with the boys and just having a, a, you know, a, a chat over coffee so no, I really enjoy it um, and like you said um, now addicted to my sage coffee machine as well <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's great and uh, yeah it's a bit of a culture isn't it and I, and I know the rugby boys um, certainly love just that social element and then a good coffee makes it even better doesn't it yes yes for sure now you as you said you've been um in canada you moved back that way with your family how has it been so far yeah it's been really good um so we obviously had to do our um two-week quarantine when we first landed in canada which was um yeah on the end of, in the, at the end of july so we stayed at my um, mother-in-law's farm and had the whole farm to you know kind of explore and just keep our distance from them but it was great instead of you know you see some of the, the the other players who have gone back to say New Zealand or Australia, <coughs> excuse me, um, who had to stay in hotels, <coughs> excuse me, um, and you know you're locked up for 23 hours and you can only go out for an hour to get a bit of fresh air. Um, so it's yeah. a lot different for us. Um, we had the whole farm to explore and you know eat fresh produce straight off the farm and there's chickens for the kids to collect the eggs every morning and the lamb that we eat is straight from the farm as well so yeah it was really good kind of a, a bit of a um a restart to our bodies as well because <clears throat> leaving the uk we had a lot of parties um a lot of go away parties and you know our bodies needed their needed the rest i think well i'm sure a lot of people are happy that you back in <laughs> canada family included so 
You had a really long spell in the UK, uh, a majority of it at uh, Glasgow Warriors. How difficult was it to leave Glasgow in the UK? Yeah, it was tough. Um, obviously, we, we left Glasgow the first time after a six-year spell with Glasgow and went to Wales and then a short stint in New, Newcastle. Um, and then to return back to Glasgow. So, you know, our roots or our building blocks was kind of built in Glasgow. And um, especially the second time around, the neighborhood we were in was just around, uh, just across the state, a corner, of, oh, just across the road from the stadium um, in Scotston. And um, made, made a lot of friends away from rugby, which is, you know, something I thought was really important. Um, because you, when you move to a new team, you straight away have the, you know, support of the families that's in the team, but it's sometimes it just feels that it's always all about rugby. Um, so this time around with the kids growing up a bit um, and going to school, you make friends with, you know, parents of the schools, the kids' friends, you know, and um, thought that was really important. And um, yeah, it was, it was really tough. The day we left, um, it was a lot of tears shed and we had the whole st- Pretty much the whole street was outside, even though they're socializing, just standing on their steps, saying goodbye, and um, and then all the you know the kids' friends were there as well. And it was eight o'clock in the morning, so it, it kind of speaks volumes about how tight knit of a community we lived in, and um, how much we enjoyed wow. it. And um, yeah, it was it was quite sad, but at the same time, it's you know you have that silver lining of you know coming home and seeing your family again, because usually we only see our family once a year, and um, and it's only for like say a four week holiday. Um, now this time we're home and a bit closer to home, hopefully with our, our future endeavors. Oh, fantastic. Huh? I mean, um, Glasgow is such a, a great place, um, especially with the, the successes you guys had as a team over the last few years, you know? Um, so you are a South African Canadian. Yeah. Um, but do you feel a bit Scottish too now? <laughs> well, so if you if I meet people, um, well, here in Canada or even sometimes our parents, just they pick up on the triggers of the way you speak, obviously with accents and stuff. And uh, over the years, you know, there's always been, you know, you meet people in Glasgow, well, where are you from? Canada. But they're like, yeah, but there's still a twang to your voice. And like, yeah, okay. I'm from South Africa as well. I was born in South Africa. And now coming here to Canada, everyone's picking up the Scottish twang. Yeah. Or maybe even for the kids, they find they're um, quite English. But that must be because of the TV programs they watch. Um, so, yeah, no, it's uh, we feel a bit Scottish. And, and we'll always be connected there because our kid, our kid, my oldest daughter was born in Scotland, in Glasgow. Then my boy was born in, in Swansea in Wales. And then my youngest daughter was born in Newcastle, England. So all f- all five of us have um, different cities we were born in. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, that's very unique. Yeah, yeah the Scots are great people, aren't they? And, um, you know, every time I go up, I just sense a real, um, you know, proud nation. Yeah. Um, what would you... Uh, miss a, the most about Glasgow and Scotland? Oh, I think you just said it there pretty much as the people. Um, Glasgow, it's got that slogan of people make Glasgow. Um, and it's it's so true. Um, 
no, every every city and every you know country in the world has got different um, you know neighborhoods and different styles of people. But I really believe that the Scotland people and the people that we were around was you know we made some lifetime friends. Um, people you know we welcome into our homes again here in Canada or wherever we might end up being, um, and people will miss. So that's probably the biggest thing. And then obviously the community that we built around the Glasgow Warriors. Um, you know, I came, I came in there in 2009 and we played in a little stadium, Fur Hill, that we ground shared with, with um, a football team. And, and yeah, we were lucky if we got a thousand people to a game. And now, you know, we're selling out Scottson Stadium, which is about, I think, seven and a half thousand. And, and there's a lineup for people who wanting to come in. But every weekend it's a sold out game. Um, you have sponsors want to come on board. You have, you know, season ticket people want to become season ticket holders. So, you know, that's what makes me really proud of being a glass, well, part of the Glaswegian kind of building base um, and, and with Glasgow Warriors. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the best thing about, about Glasgow is just seeing it, you know, grow as a, as a rugby team and a rugby community. Um, in the beginning, you probably walked around the streets and nobody knew who, um, who we were in 2009, 10. And then with the success of the team, you know, you start building the brand of, of the team. And, and now it's a, you know, a really good, well-known team that players from around the world wants to, wants to join. Yeah. I remember there's a, there's a few South Africans, a few, um, uh, Antipodians that, that joined, but a lot of Scots stood up. And I, I think, um, from the outside, it seems like, Gregor Townsend had a had a good part to play in putting the squads together and making you guys tick. Yeah, Did I think. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, with with Scotland being so small and only having the two professional teams, I think a lot of success with the national team has to be down to the credit of of Gregor Townsend. But then that goes hand in hand with the signings that they made and the combination of players they brought into the team. You know, in 2015 is is obviously our uh, our peak that we hit um, with winning the league, but also the year before that we were in the in the finals and the semifinals the year before that. So it was it was a slow build um, of bringing in the right players to Glasgow to make sure that that team you know really prospers and and then that success you know the back of that success the Scotland guys get a lot of confidence and it and, and it helps the Scotland team and and same goes with Edinburgh you know there's a I don't remember the exact year but maybe two thousand and 12, 13 ish, that they made it to the semifinals of um, of the back, and then was the Heineken Cup. Yeah. Um, and again, they had just you know brought in a few specialty players in certain positions, a bit of flair, a bit of that, bit of experience, you, you know, whatever they were missing, um, and they went on a good run. So I think all that confidence from from the two teams has really um, helped Scotland, you know, develop, and then Gregor took over with the Scotland role and yeah he's a coach who wants to play a lot of rugby in a, an expansive game so um that's that really helps the um the cause with with Scotland yeah no definitely and it's a, it's nice to watch that uh, endeavor in the Scottish teams um let's go back and let's talk about your family um your wife your kids your their names uh, how long have you been together? And um, some fun stuff about your kids that you're happy to share. Um, yeah, so um, 
I met my wife here in Victoria um, 14 years ago. I was a, um, a bouncer at a, a nightclub. So one of my, my old teammates at uh, James Bay Rugby Club in, in Victoria, um, he owned um, a rest, uh, no, sorry, a nightclub that I worked with him. Um, so I worked there and then I met my wife when she used to come to the club. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so she was working at a different place. I said, listen, you're, you, you should come work with, um, with my, my, the boss of, of that I was working with. He's opened a restaurant now. You should come work for him. So she started working for him and that's kind of our fairy tale started. And then we both moved over to Scotland together. Um, she finished off her studies online, um, which is in like early childhood development, um, and did a few practicum um, workplace placements in Scotland um, when she finished. And then we decided to have kids. So, um, yeah, like I said earlier, like uh, so my, my daughter was born in, in Glasgow. Um, then the boy was born in Wales and the, and the youngest one was born in Newcastle. Um, the Newcastle one was a real push and go because, um, like I said, I, I was only there for a short term. And in about March of the, my first season, you know, I just, I started, I said, listen, I'm not getting enough game time. I need to start looking elsewhere. Is it, would you allow me? And they said, yes. So, you know, I, up, I went back to Scotland and they were happy. Dave Brenny was happy to have me back. And, but in the meantime, when I was trying to sell the house in Newcastle, my wife, Jill was pregnant. Um, so yeah, sorry, her name's Jillian. And, um, I was staying in Glasgow for the first nine weeks by myself, staying with one of the, my teammates. And every Wednesday we would have the day off. So I'd come back after training on a Tuesday and then drive up early morning on Thursday back to Glasgow. So it's only a two, two and a half hour drive. Um, but this one day I was, you know, Jill's almost due or she's kind of, you know, a week away from being due. And uh, um, I was like, oh, should I come or should I not come? I'll see you on the weekend. And she's like, no, just come. And I was like, oh, I don't think I want to. I'm just tired. Eventually, I got in the car and I drove down there um, and left, you know, after training on Tuesday. And literally, I got, I was probably about 10 miles outside of uh, uh, Newcastle. And she said, uh, you know, I'm, I've just gotten into labor. And I was like, oh, my word. Imagine if I was still yeah. back in Glasgow. So I stepped on it, got home. Um, she was still busy making um, spaghetti for the kids, for the older two, and and uh, my my mother in law was there at the time, um, so she was still making dinner and then getting her contractions during the time. I was like, no, get in the car, let's go. And literally, we got to the hospital and um, we didn't even make it to the the delivery room. But the baby just came out in the assessment wow. hall. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting one. Almost could have missed that one just because I was a bit yeah. tired from training. So um, a good decision. Yeah, good Great decision. decision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's fantastic. Yeah. But, um, can I ask you about growing up in South Africa, um, yeah. and then following that, uh, you were in Canada as a, a youngster too. Yeah. So just about your childhood and yeah. anything you remember in those yeah. times. Yeah. So. Yeah, my, I was I was uh, born in Worcester, and uh, just you know, hundred kilometers north of Cape Town, um, and I went to school there, and um, I went to high school in Worcester Gymnasium. Um, that's probably where my rugby started taking off. Um, played a bit of Bulland under sixteen rugby, and but um, 
yeah, I just always loved the game. Played a lot of rugby you know, through hope the you know all my age grades going up and so on. Um, my dad's a doctor. Mom stay home wife. I got a brother and sister. Um, sister younger Carla and then a, a younger brother Peter. Um, and yeah, just you know, very fortunate family. We had a, a nice a family beach house in a place called Franz Kral, which is close to Hermanus. So we spent a lot of summers there. And then we also had a, um, um, like a, a cottage on the dam. So a lake, I guess, in Scotland, they call it a lake. Oh, here in Scotland, they call it locks and lakes. And yeah. here we call it a dam. So we had a dam house that was only about 25 minutes outside Wooster at Quachas. And um, so that's where we spent every weekend, you know, on the boat, um, learn to ski, you know, to wakeboard, all those kind of fun things, those jet skis and all that stuff and motorbikes. So, you know, I had a great, great life and in the, um, the, the October holidays or whatever that holidays um, we used to go to Botswana so I did you know a lot of trips up to Botswana and Zimbabwe Mozambique Namibia so you know I had a great life in in South Africa but um, yeah things didn't quite you know pan out the way my dad wanted it in in terms of seeing the future of, of us as kids and he thought he wanted just to you know provide us with a better future and uh you know and he decided to go to can come to canada it was between canada and australia he ended up coming over for locum um for three months prior to us coming and um just to make a bit of money and be able to you know make the move and he came home and said listen you pack your stuff we're moving in june so that was our first time flying and we we're pretty excited. But at the same time, you know, I was 17, my sister's 16, brother was 14. And, um, you know, you're just kind of getting into that adult life and being free and being able to explore yourself in, in, in South Africa. So it was quite hard at the same time, but I was lucky enough. We moved to a place called Saskatchewan, Regina. And, um, my dad's first partner and actually someone he studied with, um, Kobe Van Yerden, um, was already in Regina and he said, listen, come, I'll help you out with, with finding a practice. And so we went over there and his um, stepson was, was in school and playing rugby. So we landed on a Saturday and in Regina and the rugby club is literally across the street from the airport. So we went straight there with our bags and everything to watch him play in a tournament. Um, And the coach then asked, well, or found out that I was a South African just had landed. And he's like, well, we want you to come to our school next year. So on the Sunday, he, went and signed me in to this sign me up for the school so I could play on the Sunday because it's a, a weekend tournament. <laughs> so pretty much on the Sunday I started playing rugby. So um no, it was good fun and straight away you had the support of the of the you know the rugby's community there. We I joined a, a rugby team called Regina Rogues um and we won a few provincial titles with them and um but yeah like my whole community whole family was just you know straight away integrated into this rugby community in Saskatchewan my dad became a team doctor and then I played for the provincial team in Saskatchewan as well, under 18s, um, under 21s. And then the senior men's team at the age of 18, I was playing for the Prairie Fire, which is a kind of a national league that, that we played in Canada. Um, so yeah, it was, that was great. Um, so I finished, I had to go back actually because the school years are different, you know, for running from September where in South Africa it runs from December and we moved in June. So I'd done a half a year of grade 11 in South Africa when we were, when we were moved. And when we got to Canada, it was pretty much summertime. So I had an extended, you know, three, three and a half months summer holiday. And 
had to go back to grade 11 in September. So um, once I finished that, I got asked to come out to Victoria, where we are now, and um, play for my team, James Bay. Um, and then a year later, my sister came out here to study physiotherapy in, in Victoria. And then a year later, my parents said, well, you know, we want to move, but my brother is still in grade 12. So they sent him to high school, actually, in Victoria, and a uh, um, high school called Oak, Oak Bay high, high School. And he had his own apartment that he stayed in. So he must have had a great grade 12 year <laughs> with all the parties and stuff. Um, and then they moved over into this town called Port Alberni and living on the lake. So, um, yeah, so then got straight away after being qualified for Canada after five years, um, you know, I, no, sorry, three years, sorry, it was, um, I could play for the national team in, um, in 2006, June or July. I got my first cap with Canada and then got part of the, which they called as a carded athlete. So it's like a government funded uh, program where you, you get paid by the government and you can train. So as part of that till 2009, when I um, ended up moving to um, Scotland. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So you, you had an outdoor um, lifestyle or yeah. outdoor upbringing, both SA and Canada. Um, and that's, uh, I guess your kids will have that same outdoor upbringing now in Canada as well. Yes. Or in the yeah. US if you go there. Um, that's fantastic. And, you know, um, it's these experiences that uh, that give you that uh, your rugby communities, but also the experiences that gives you um, a fantastic sort of um, you know what whatever you want to call it life experience yeah. that you can then use in rugby teams, etc. Yeah, Let, let's talk a little bit more about your rugby then um, at Glasgow. Any favorite moments that really stands out for you? Um, oh, it's probably going to be the combination of the two games of when we won the final. Um, I had um, in 2015 had a pretty good season, and um, but then I think it was in like early March I um, played again, and just I was in that. I was carrying the ball and just slowly put my, I just literally put my hand down on the to duck underneath the, another player. And I snapped two bones in my hand and straight away I knew something was wrong. So it eventually went off and I had to get surgery. I got surgery maybe a few days, a couple of days later. And I thought, you know, at this team that year, I just felt it. I've, and I keep saying this to a lot of people I speak to is it doesn't matter what the score was on the scoreboard in any at any point in that season, I just felt I had so much confidence in the team that we would always come back and win, would find a way. And so I was so disappointed to be out, you know, with the broken hand and surgery. Um, but, you know, I did dust myself off pretty quickly. And I, I had the surgery and had this bone growth machine I put on it. And, and it, after, I think it was something like eight weeks or, yeah, maybe eight weeks or maybe a bit less, um, I went and got them another scan. They said, well, the bones had healed enough that you can come back to playing. And it was just in time for the semifinal. So for the semifinal, I really pushed hard to get into that semifinal team. was on the bench. And, um, you know, luckily enough, I was at the right place in the right time like a winger should do. And um, Finn Russell picked the ball up like with, I think, like three or four minutes left in the game. And we're 
were down by um, six points. And um, yeah, passed an unbelievable pass over the top and I managed to score in the corner. And um, But then he had to kick it over. So he kicked it over from the touchline and from his wrong side of his foot as well. Um, and we ended up holding on and winning that game. Um, so that was us through to the final. <clears throat> then was lucky enough to get rewarded with a start in the final. And, you know, that that game was just unbelievable. But the thing that st- still stands in mind is just um, Gregor Townsend's telling that Leone Nakarawa, our team was literally, you know, was built around this man. And he's just such an unbelievable player. It was like, listen, Leone, like, this is this is finals rugby. We just need to keep the ball. That's the way we're going to beat Munster. Um, don't offload, you know, unless it's 100% on, but just keep it safe, keep the ball. Um, and within minutes, he's offloading a ball to to Rob Harley. There was nobody else could offload. And Rob Harley scores. Then he offloads to me uh, a ball and I score. And he, he does about, I don't know, like five or six just unbelievable offloads. Even at one point, the ball's on the ground. He just actually kicks it to one of our other kicks it backwards to one of our players perfectly in his hands just I remember that yeah, yeah just an unbelievable player so you know just those two games of you know coming back in the semi-final against Ulster and then the final against Munster is just something that really jumps to mind um, with my yeah, memories amazing I, I I've got goosebumps you telling the story yeah. so <laughs> no that's amazing it's it's these memories that you can take with you forever don't yeah, you so yeah for sure but other memories rugby world cups four of them <clears throat> yeah yeah no which was your favorite oh i can't say i don't know i <laughs> they all they're all so special i think for their for their own reasons obviously 2007 world cup um i was 20 years old i wasn't expect i just got I had three caps for Canada. Um, first one was like against Barbados, and then Italy, and then Portugal. Um, I played really well in the Portugal game. I think I scored two tries in it. And, um, and I don't know if it was that game or just prior to that in training that the starting winger for Canada, Justin Mensacoker, actually got, got injured. He, um, he tore his hamstring, but they he was they thought he would recover in time for the World Cup, so they still took him along. And, and myself and this young not a young guy, Nathan Hariyama, who still plays sevens, and Nick Trenkel was just three young guys, 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds, that was um, taken on tour just to get experience because they saw a future in us. Nick Trenkel's actually a South African as well. Um, they wanted us to experience in the World Cup and probably won't play, but just experience because we've got a long future with, with Rugby Canada. And then this happens, I play well, he gets injured, and I get to start the first game and then start every game after. So that was pretty special being in your first World Cup. Um, but at the same time, I was 20 years old. I was naive. You know, I was just young and and didn't really take on board that, you know, what was happening. I think the most special part for me was um, at our cap ceremony. That's probably the thing that stands out the most was, so you, you go and get your cap award, you know, awarded to you um, by the, well, then it was IRB. Um, president or whatever and we were doing ours at the same time that ireland was doing theirs so our caps was handed and um your name was on the inside and then um or a number was inside or something like that and and when we all got back to our seats i looked inside and i had 
Brian O'Driscoll's cap. <laughs> so then I had to go switch and he had my cap or something like that. So I had to go switch caps with him. So that was something, you know, that's something silly that sticks to mind as a young, young, young man. But then 2011 World Cup was amazing because of New Zealand, you know, obviously they love their rugby there and um, it was so special. That was, we played at a pretty good team and we beat um, Tonga, which was, was not expected for us. Um, and then unfortunately we drew against Japan, which, um, again, in 2007, we drew against them as well. Um, so if we had just won that game, we were straight away qualified to the, the next World Cup. Um, so that was quite um, upsetting because then what happened was Tonga then beats France and they they leapfrogged us so, in points. Um, and then 2015 was probably... Probably the special one for me in terms of my own performance. I played really. I thought I played really well, and um, uh, something that stands out is for me is obviously scoring a try in every any pool and every pool game, and to be the only tier two nation player to ever done that is something special. Um, but in the same breath, you know, it's not a it's not a single man game. It's all about team, and you don't want to you know the, the accolades you know gets parked when you think about the performance that we did as a as a team we didn't end up winning a game um uh, and then you know this last one 2019 was is again another special one with it's just because they're all special because they're all different countries and all the different Mm -hmm. cultures and i think japan stands in my mind you know with the culture experience just amazing how amazing the people are there how clean it is um i love cleanliness and i love rules and i and that's just the perfect place for me, I think, um, just how clean it is. And, and everything's just always organized. Everything's on time and so on. And, you know, they couldn't have done any more to make us feel more welcome in Japan. Like, you know, from um, our pre-tour camp we had there in, in Nagasaki, I think it was, or something, um, they had, you know, built a complete gym for us, you know, portable gym. And it was just you know, state of the art stuff. It was, it's really amazing. And, but then, you know, the typhoon hits and I, you know, don't, we don't get to play our last game. And that was ultimately my last game for, for Canada was against South Africa. And I didn't even know it. Um, I was expecting to play against my last game against Namibia. So, um, yeah, they all had special memories for me. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to be at that pool game against South Africa. That oh. <laughs> um, and, uh, we were, me and my buddies were like, ah, come on, DTH, give, it, <laughs> give him the ball. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's another score there. But um, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think it was in Kobe, um, if I yeah, remember correctly. Yeah, that one was, yes, yeah. And, um, you know, I agree with you. Fantastic people, fantastic place. Um, you guys then, when, when that typhoon hit, um, and created the havoc. Yeah, you guys as a Canadian team went out and helped in the community where you were staying. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So obviously that typhoon had come in, and there was all the rumors about you know like um, games going to be cancelled and which ones weren't and so on. And I woke up at five o'clock in the morning. I didn't really sleep that night. I was I quite admired the storm and how big it was, you know, um, just where we were in Kamaishi. And, but yeah, five o'clock kind of woke up and looked at my phone and it was like, yeah, game cancel is quite upsetting. And, um, so eventually when after breakfast, we all kind of sat together in this, 
um, this came up that we could go into Kamaishi and um, and go and help out some of the some of the flooding that had happened overnight. So, and it was something we did, we sat down as a leaders group and said, listen, you know, this everyone's going to deal with what happened today. You know, like there's a lot of guys who probably won't go to another World Cup, retirement or not, you know, out of form, injuries, whatever it might be. So everyone's going to deal with this differently, and and everyone can choose. There's no, you know telling anyone you have to come to this or you have to do this. You can do whatever you want that day. So about half the team decided they wanted to come into town and, and help out. And um, I went along as well. And, and I think the people in Kamaishi, they had, um, they had that massive flood. And I, I can't remember what year it was when they had the mm. um, tsunami. Yeah. Tsunami came through the whole town and wiped out the whole, whole city and, and stuff. So, um, you know, I said, I'd, I wanted to go help out. And the, the house I was, you know, kind of assigned to was a really old lady, probably in her, uh, late eighties, I'd say. And she was trying to do all these things by herself. And for those who know, like in Japan, uh, they're like, all the houses are lifted slightly, but they're wooden structures. Um, and the floors aren't like just, it's not normal floorboards. They have these carpets, these like, they're just layered carpets because they always sit on the floor and stuff. So it's really kind of soft, spongy, but um, all made out of straw. So these, this whole house, even though it was lifted, was still flooded about three feet through the entire house. And she was trying to save things by putting it on top of dressers and so on. And so we were carrying out all the dressers, all the tables, everything out of their house, and then having to roll up these carpets, which would like absolutely weighed a ton. Um, and then you just put it on the sidewalk because they were all ruined. And, um, and then these guys would come by with lorries, little lorries, and they would just pick up all this, you know, make a pile, like a discard pile and a keep pile. She just tells you and, you know, trying to point where everything goes because we can't speak to each other and with the different languages. And, um, but she just had it like, you know, just a, a subtle smile, like smile on her face, just of appreciation. But you could tell her eyes, just how sad she was. She, um, you know, her husband wasn't um, around anymore, and and how much she appreciated the the help. Um, yeah, just really touched me, and I, thinking about it now makes me quite, you know, gives me the goosebumps and chills. Um, You're emotional. Just, uh, yeah, really emotional, and um, I was just glad. You know, obviously, it's it's it, it's not nice not to play your last game, but selfishly you know who cares it's there's a lot of people who lost their lives family members and and their homes so i was just help, happy to you know go out and come and help and the funny thing about that is um no we didn't we didn't do it for accolades and we didn't do it because you know oh, people would see us do it like that's just a canadian way we want to help people we're nice people um and um the next day we left uh, to Tokyo and I think Tokyo is about eight hours away or something like that with, you know, we took a bullet train and so on. And, and I was sitting, the whole team flew out of one, one part of the airport. And I was the only one who had to fly back to Scotland um, from a different terminal. And I was sitting there by myself. Um, I don't even think I was wearing a rugby Canada um, shirt. And honestly, I think 10 people came up to me, even people um, when I was walking to my gate was yelling at me saying, thank you for what I did in Kamaishi. And even to, to this day, I still get messages. Thank you for what you did in Kamaishi. Like there's, I just couldn't believe it. You know, there's people working in the airport, people, you know, traveling or people, you know, just random people would come up, just say, thank you. Thank you for Kamaishi to work. And then 
I just thought, you know, that's just amazing. You know, you go out and trying to help out a bit and, and people appreciate it that much as, you know, just made it so much, so worth it. Yeah. I, I must say, um, hats off to the boys who went out and helped and, yeah. but, um, you know, the, the Japanese are very proud people, Yeah. but, um, and they were very proud to put this whole world cup on. Yeah. But you could see also the resilience and uh, you know how they deal with things, but also the appreciation, yeah, you know, um, for what people coming to their country, but also now with this, um, it, that was so much more than rugby, so yeah. that was first priority. And, um, well done to you guys, and I'm and I'm sure that stories will, will stay forever, yeah. um, you know. Um, one of the things that will come out of that World Cup, or some of the things will come out of that World Cup, is based on this, you know. Yeah. But um, you um, uh, scored a few tries in your life. But um, if you can point out, I don't know if it was one in the um, in the semi final that you talked about, but yeah. was there a favorite try that you scored? Um, yeah, I think that semi final try is probably a a special one for the, you know, what it meant to Glasgow and, and being able to win that game to go through to the final. Um, but I think personally, you know, I didn't have to do much in that, in that try. I just had to literally catch the ball, go over the line. Um, but that the try scored against, uh, Italy in the 2015 world cup is probably my favorite try. Um, but like a lot of things, you know, there's always that, you know, a bit of a, dark cloud over it that we played such good rugby in that game and i think i truly believe we had an opportunity to win win that game if it wasn't for a you know a missed call by the touch judge um that couldn't completely swung the momentum in the last kind of eight minutes of the game um but yeah that's um something we i'd seen in the you know doing a bit of video analysis on the italian team and they kick to the to the left wing side and um, but it kick, they kick it to our number eight, which was just standing next to the, the winger. And I said to the coach during the week, I was like, listen here, these guys kick here, but their winger, which is usually a lot of teams do it, but they have protection, really chases hard. And if he kicks it slightly infield towards like the 15-meter line, um, he still chases in as a winger, and he doesn't have cover down the short side. And I was like, it's okay if we go down that side if it comes there. And sure enough, they kick it there. And I'm as the kick goes, I'm just like laughing and I'm smiling to myself. I'm saying to Tyler Arjun, um, I was like, "Come on, pass it, pass it. It's on, it's on." And he gets the ball, and sure enough, he passes it there. And you know, I go down the sideline, and then um, our center, which would have been the next closest guy to the number eight, is Kieran Hearns running a great line. So I pass it into him. He kind of swerves infield, and I follow him, and then he gets tackled and offloads back to me, and. Um, there's kind of like two or three would-be tackles on Kieran as well, but they kind of like get tripped over by the by the guy who actually tackles him, and and it's just perfect kind of kind of little scene to go through. Um, and I yeah, that was just you know amazing try, and um, but such a you know you just get such a good feeling from it because you've seen it on tape and it all comes off and the passes are perfect from the eight to me, and then I pass inside to the center and he offloads again, so. 
yeah, it's a it's a special one that for me. Yeah, that preparation and then it yeah. walked forward. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. So you are now um, potentially going to Major League Rugby. Yeah. Um, uh, how is that going so far? I know it's COVID is uh, yeah. uh, you know making things difficult. Are you excited about this move? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. I think, um, like I said earlier, we you know we only see our families once a year, and now being having the potential of you know coming closer to home and only being you know a few hours flight from from Victoria or Vancouver for our families is is something that really appeals to us and um and i also want to get into the you know coaching side of things as well and that really gives you the opportunity to either to play and also give a bit you know on the coaching side and especially in your off season you can you know do a bit of coaching um which is you know one of the the big drawing factors for me so um it's not all signed off yet for myself so i won't be saying who i'm speaking to yet but um I think we're close to to getting the deal all signed off, and um, but um, yeah, I'm really excited. But yeah, like I said, you said there with the COVID is, it's a bit stressful. We've we've just had our preseason postponed for six weeks, so it's going to be a little bit later start than than anticipated. But in the end of the day, you know, I always look at it this way. There's a lot of people, you know, that's really struggled with COVID, lost jobs, um, you know, lost family members, and and I'm just lucky enough that I'm still healthy. I've got my family and, and my friends still, and we've got a place to live here in, in Victoria, and we're comfortable there. And, um, you know, we got the support of our family behind us. So everyone's really supportive, and, um, you know, we might just have to wait it out a bit longer to, to make that move. Um, I just really hope that, yeah, that it doesn't really affect our, our season um, to start next year. Um, here in Canada, we've just had our – Canadian Football League, as the CFL has been cancelled for the year, so you know that's a real a downer for those players and all the fans. So um, mm. it's a bit stressful, but at the same time, you know all good things all good things you sometimes have to wait for. So um, sure, just hope yeah. it all all works out. No, I think um, exciting the MLR, yeah. the whole the whole franchise is, is this that has been uh, introduced. But yeah, good luck with that. Thank you. You also talked about your firefighting and your your real um, interest in in that um, before. Um, so, is that something you would be looking to do potentially? Uh, yeah, um, it's a it's a bit of a dilemma I have right now because I've got a lot of you know all my friends here are saying, well, what is going to happen with the rugby? Um, no, I've got my qualifications with firefighting. And it can take some time, you know, it can take up to two, three years to get into firefighting because it's such a sought after uh, position and job here in Canada with great benefits and a great lifestyle. And then again, um, you know, helping out people, that's what I love to do. And um, so um, they're all saying, why don't you just, you know, start doing that? But I think it's um, it's always going to be something I want to do and, and I need to figure out how I can combine that, maybe combine the two or find the right timing, you know, to sign off with the rugby and go into firefighting. So something I'll probably look into when I get to my, my destination of rugby and see if I can speak to some of the, their community people there um, about firefighting and if there's ways I could, you know, train or stay active in it or maybe volunteer um, within it. Um, 
but then also again if you know if, if rugby does get cancelled for for the next year i don't think there's um much chance of me you know waiting another full year to then come back to rugby so it might have to force my hand to to then you know start looking to applying for jobs here into the fire service so it's something it's it's there and it's um it's possible but uh, at the moment i just want to you know concentrate on the rugby and and just keep that kind of ticking over as well yeah no sure no good I, 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 before we started i said we um you know we want to try and keep this to 30 minutes <laughs> see we're on 44 <laughs> but hey um let's quickly talk about rugby coffee and yeah. what attracted uh, you to to be joining us yeah well i think it uh it's all in the name i think um the two two of my favorite things is uh, rugby and coffee and um and like your slogan goes with um it's a way of life kind of thing um um yeah i love i love both both rugby and and coffee um it's a way you know the way you you spoke about it is a way of giving back to the younger generation and and uh, hopefully i've come across in in you know the kamaishi story with the helping out and my firefighting is is something i want to do i've i've received a lot of you know um how would i say it? like good feelings and rewards from you know from my rugby and the spectators that's been there you know like when people cheer you know you feel proud of yourself and and so on um but i want to give back as well and i think rugby coffee will give me that opportunity to give back um with um you know speaking about rugby telling my story you know there might be a lot of people that's interested in in my story and and hearing you know just from a different version of you know different someone's different paths in rugby yeah um and that's that comes easy for me to speak about you know what i've experienced and and um but i also want to you know help drive kids to come to rugby and there's a lot of you know a lot of stigma around rugby being dangerous and all that kind of stuff. And that's something also I want to you know, make sure we clear up and that kids feel safe. We go, you know, we learn proper techniques and, and rugby keeps growing. You know, there's no reason for rugby to you know, start stalling down. So I think, you know, rugby coffee will give us that platform to speak about these things and, and at the same time, enjoy a nice cup of coffee over it. And, and, you know, the sales of, of the coffee will again be, push back into the young kids and the community rugby and um and especially for me in canada that's probably the biggest thing that i want to you know help work with is the community rugby because the gap that oh, that's the that's where we're for a, a national team to improve you need to start young and i think for the kids to enjoy rugby you know it costs money the country is mass it's such a big country you know parents to you know drive to places all these things can help out um through a bit of funding and um and and in in the end rugby canada at at women's level at men's level um will prosper from it so that's kind of my my thought behind it all yeah thank you for joining us and uh, we're very very um glad like i said in the beginning to have people like yourself getting behind it and helping us to to grow the awareness and helping us to sort of grow the brand and hopefully you know people will love our coffee and love what we do and we can make a real difference yeah you know so thank you from our side now um we're gonna finish off um we're gonna give you three 
words and I want you to reply instantly with whatever comes up in your head, okay. uh, one word or a couple of words, okay. whatever you feel. But are you ready for it? Yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Scrum. Oh, fatties. <laughs> Glasgow. Uh, titles. Coffee. Uh, flat white. Ah, fantastic. Hey, uh, DTH, it was a pleasure having you on, on the podcast. And um, thank you and good luck with everything. And we'll catch up soon. And we'll send you over some coffee soon as uh, well. Thank you, Cornelia. No, it's a pleasure. Um, I really enjoyed the chat. And yeah, I look forward to see what we can do with rugby coffee um, in the next little while. Thanks, DTH. Okay. Thank Stay you. Stay safe, everybody. Cheers.